Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. speak about Jesus's resurrection and the power of God that was displayed at the resurrection, it's impossible to not see miracles. It's impossible to not see signs and wonders. It's impossible to not see deliverance. It's impossible to not see the power of God come on the scene to confirm that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. That was the apostles ministry of Acts chapter five. The Bible says they with great grace testified of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ and great power was transmitted through them all. The Bible says that through with great grace they testified and great power was in manifestation. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12 says that many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. Why? Because they kept on boasting and bragging and talking about this miraculous event called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you talk about his resurrection, that same power that uh, raised him from the dead comes on the scene to, in fact, enforce that victory into the people's lives, into your body, into your home, into your finances, into whatever you have need of today. So help me get this word out to as many people as possible by sharing this broadcast. Welcome, Pastor Daniel Nurse, watching out in Montreal. That was one of the first pastors that had me in to preach, so thank you so much. I, I, I really respect and, and honor you. God bless you. Edmonton, Alberta, Iowa, God bless you all, Ohio, welcome Houston, Texas, Wisconsin, so let's get in it straight away, resurrection power, resurrection power, I want you to understand this one thing before I move on to anything else, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, every one of his claims, the I am claims, that I am the bread of life, I am the, the, the true shepherd, I am the gate of salvation, all of those claims would have been made void and empty. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then the resurrection validates every one of his claims. So the whole of Christianity hangs on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't have Christianity without the resurrection. You don't have uh, you don't have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, you think of it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, these disciples that some of them left, I mean, all of them, but there were some notably that left their entire businesses for Jesus and for the ministry that Jesus had. There were people that left wealth and they left uh, affluent lifestyle. Like Matthew was by no means someone who was poor as a tax collector. He was wealthy. He was affluent. He left that. Um, James and John, Peter and Andrew, they left successful business in fishing to follow Jesus. It, they, they get, Peter actually said, Master, we've left everything to follow you. These guys abandoned everything to follow Jesus for those three and a half years. Well, Jesus dies. What's the reaction? Peter denies the Christ, first and foremost, goes on a weeping. Uh, he goes out weeping. You have the, um, the other apostles that the Bible says they were all scattered and all abandoned him. They totally, you know, disconnected from Jesus the moment he died. And their hope and dreams of him being the Messiah at that moment, because the Bible says in John 21, they had not yet believed in the scripture that he would rise from the dead. So 
This isn't speculation. The Bible says that they did not believe the scripture that Jesus would rise from the dead. They had no understanding. That's why those two guys on the road to Emmaus, the Bible, or Emmaus, or whatever you want to say. I always say Emmaus. I don't know why, but that's just how I say it. They're on the road to Emmaus, and the Bible says that they Jesus appears to them, but he's covered, and they didn't know that it was Jesus, and they were sorrowful. And Jesus says, why are you so sad? What are you talking about? They said, are you the only one that dwells in Jerusalem who hasn't heard that Jesus died? And he was a great prophet in signs and wonders and mighty in word and deed. But he's died. This is the third day since he's dead now. And they were very sorrowful of heart. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, you sorrow, you, 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 you unbelieving people, you slow of heart to believe, you foolish people, he said. Slow of heart to believe in everything that the law and the prophets prophesied concerning me. And then from that scripture, he began to expound to them in all the laws and all the prophets and Moses and in the prophets, everything that he had to go through and how he had to suffer and die and rise again. Then he breaks the bread, their eyes are open and they rejoice and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? But notice they're... As they were leaving Jerusalem, they weren't happy. They were sad because they didn't understand the scripture. They didn't, they did they hadn't believed in the resurrection yet. And so these disciples, who by the way, all of them died horrendous deaths. All of them died, uh, except for John, by either crucifixion, beaten with a fuller's club. I have a book behind me called John Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it talks about how the disciples died, how Thomas actually ended up going to India and he was chased off a cliff, fell down, and then they finished the job by beating him with a fuller's club, which is a baseball bat in essence, wrapped around with barbed wire. And uh, so they all, you know, they, <laughs> they didn't go easy. John, they tried to boil him in water. Peter was crucified upside down. So think of it this way. If these disciples who gave up everything for this guy called Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, and he died and stayed dead, and they never saw him rise from the dead, do you honestly think, as elated as they were, as dejected as they were, as depressed as the Bible says they were, after Jesus died, do you honestly think, I mean, think of it. If, if you had a dream that was crushed, most people, the moment they have a dream that's crushed, they don't work hard to see that dream realized. They, 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 they give up. They give up. They get dejected and depressed and the hope is gone. They feel uh, feelings of hopelessness. Now think of this. They abandon everything to pursue this dream that Jesus was the Messiah and they really believed it. He dies. Do you honestly think hopeless, dejected, dejected depressed, depressed, uh, discouraged people would have gone on to give their lives in proclaiming this gospel message, which added absolutely nothing to them. You know, it's not like everybody loved their message and they were just gravitating towards them and, and throwing money at them. The Bible says, Paul, look at his letters. Look at it for, uh, specifically in 2 Corinthians 11. It talks about how he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was uh in fastings often, how much he suffered to get this gospel message. How Peter, like I said, was hung upside down on a cross. Do you honestly think these dejected, hopeless uh, uh, disciples who never saw their Christ rise from the dead would have gone on to live lives like that had he not risen from the dead? No. 
That in itself is proof that Jesus rose from the dead. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I deliver to you, this is verse 3, that which I first received from the Lord, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. It's a Good Friday because of the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, it wouldn't be Good Friday. It'd be Bad Friday. In Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul keeps saying according to the scriptures because this wasn't an accident. This wasn't God's afterthought. This was when something God just, you know, made do with. God prophesied through the prophets that there would be a coming Messiah who would indeed suffer a brutal death at the cross and rise again. So Paul's saying all of that which Jesus did was according to the scriptures. It wasn't something that was last minute plans. It wasn't something that was... Uh, uh, um, you know, spontaneous that God just decided, I'm feeling spontaneous today, let's do that. No, it was programmed. The Bible says he is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. And verse 5 says that he was seen by Cephas, Cephas, which is Peter. Then he was seen by the 12. This is after his resurrection. Because he was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. Seen by Peter. Seen by the twelve. Then after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. 500 believers saw Jesus at once. So there was a time after Jesus' resurrection where there were 500 people gathered in a room or somewhere outside, maybe by the Sea of Galilee or on the Mountain of, uh, of Olives, or maybe it was at the Garden of Gethsemane. Who knows where it was, but there was, the Bible notes that there was at one time 500 people gathered at once that saw the resurrected Jesus. You know, there's this theory out there that the disciples and the 500 that saw Jesus were all tripping on the same drug and had this simultaneous trip where they all saw the same things. Well, first of all, that's uh, an impossibility how could you have 500 you can have 500 people take some psycho, psychedelic drug or whatnot but for them to all trip and have the same trip and see the same things that's impossible there's also the swoon theory this is that jesus never actually died at the cross he was just really badly bruised and broken but when they took his body off the cross he still had a pulse he was laid in a tomb and it was when they anointed his body with uh, with oils and spices that it had a healing effect on his body and he rose from the dead. He didn't rose from the dead, sorry. He rose from that, that place of, 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 of whatever you know, beating he suffered, that he, he recovered from his wounds, that he didn't rise from the dead, he just recovered from his wounds because of the spices that they covered his body and it had a healing effect on it. Well, that can't be true because the Bible says Thomas was such in disbelief that Jesus rose from the dead that he said, unless I put my hand in his side and touch the print of his nails, I'll never believe. Because Thomas witnessed the crucifixion. Thomas knew that Jesus, he didn't just die. He, he, he died, died twice. He, he was so brutally smacked around, bruised, beyond recognition there's no way someone went through all of that and recovered. I saw them put a spear through his side. I saw them nail nails into his hands. I saw them deliver such a brutal beating on his face. His beard ripped off his face. I saw the hardness of breath that he had when he was breathing. Every time he made those statements, he had to give it all. He had to lift himself off the cross, uh, lift himself up 
upward on the cross to get breath back into his lungs. And, and, and I saw him yell out that final breath. It is finished. And I saw him totally lifeless on that cross. I saw them take his body off limp and dead. There's no way that that man, that Jesus is still alive. He said, unless I put my hand into his nails, I'm never going to believe. So if that theory were true, Thomas would have been like, you know what? I, I thought I saw a pulse in him. No, he said, I'll, unless I see him walking and talking, there ain't no way I'm ever going to believe. Jesus appears to him later on uh, in, during those 40 days. And the Bible says he looked at Thomas and said, now put your hands or your finger in the print of my nails. Put your hand in my side and don't be disbelieving, but believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you, are, you believe because you've seen me rise from the dead you've seen me in my resurrected form but blessed are those that believe who though they've never seen yet they still believe that's who you are that's who i am and the bible says that because we believe though we've never seen it with our physical eyes but we know that we know in our hearts that jesus is alive jesus said you're blessed as a result of it he said blessed are those that believe that's why you got to stop saying i'm cursed i'm unlucky start to say what jesus said i believe in his resurrection so i'm blessed i'm blessed and highly favored i'm blessed and uncursable because of the blessing of god the Bible says 500 at once. The greater part remained to the present, but some have died. Then after that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Skip down to verse 12. Listen to Paul. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? They were challenging the resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul's saying if there is no such thing, if God's power is not great enough to have raised Jesus from the dead, then Christ is still in that tomb. And if Christ is not risen, verse 14 says, then our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. That's why I said the whole of Christianity hangs on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did in fact not rise from the dead, our faith is empty. Our faith to be healed lies on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And since death has no dominion over his body, sickness and disease has no dominion over him and, neither, uh, and not over his power either. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith to be saved is empty. Because the whole of the preaching in the book of Acts that the disciples center, centered on wasn't, you know, Jesus came, he died. But, you know, he came and did all that so you can be a better you. No, it's not you being a better you. It's not you joining some organization. Jesus didn't come to establish a cult. Jesus came to die and rise again so that he can destroy the power of sin over people's lives and bring that same resurrection to them so that Romans 6, like it says, that we can now walk in newness of life. That if... Christ rose from the dead and we be in Christ. The old is passed away. Everything becomes new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Well, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're not new creatures. We're still in our sins. We're still on our way to hell. And those that died believing in Christ are still dead in sin and on their way to hell. That's what Paul says. Your preaching's empty. What do we have to preach? If Christ didn't, you know, when I go to places like um, Loon Lake in uh, Saskatchewan and I preached 
uh, for five days straight because they were facing an epidemic. They had a suicide epidemic. They had people killing themselves left, right, and center in a town of a thousand. They had like 14 suicides in a matter of weeks or months. I forget what it was, but it, it was it was nonsense. And so we went and we we rented the town hall and we preached and we had people come in. We had a, a hundred and eighty something decisions for Christ in five days in a town of a thousand. That's almost twenty percent of the full town getting saved within five days. And we had people that came in suicidal, bound by drugs, bound by addiction. What do you think I preached to them? Do you think I preached to them some sort of self-help, self-motivation preaching? Do you think I preached to them some sort of psychology, some philosophy that just encouraged them to the point of, you know, I don't feel suicidal anymore. No, all of that's nonsense. All of that is empty. What I preached was God's resurrection power. That when you preach it, like I said before, the resurrection power comes on the scene. That minute, that, that that, that flow of his power begins to flow in that place through the people, thereby setting them free from all oppression of the devil. And that's why we saw, I remember there was this one guy who was uh, on meth the first day that we preached. And it was no surprise he was on meth. I thought he died 10 minutes into my preaching. He was just on, on the like third row with his eyes closed like this. I literally thought there was someone dead that they were going to get the, the, the ambulance to come in and just grab his body and, and take him out. He ends up coming after, after I give the invitation to accept Christ, he comes up, receives Christ into his heart. He comes up to me and says, I'm on meth right now and I'm depressed and I want to take my life. I, I prayed for him. I broke the power of the devil over his body. Well, that was on Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, sorry. By Tuesday, this guy comes up to me and has, you know, a Bible in his hand and he shakes my hand and he says, do you, do you remember me? I said, I, I honestly don't remember you. I've seen a lot of people in the last couple of days. Uh, can you remind me? And he says, I'm the guy you prayed for on Sunday night on meth. I want to tell you that since you prayed, I felt whatever was on me lift off of me. I don't have any desire to take meth any longer. And that depression and suicidal voices that I was having in my head, they all left. I feel as happy as, and he looked like he could have been a, a contender to be casted on some sort of antidepressant commercial because of how happy he looked. I mean, he had the biggest smile you can get. In two days, the resurrection power of God took someone who was bound by death, bound by depression, bound by addiction and bondage, and the and as the resurrection power of God hit his body, he, it broke him free. It took him out of the house of bondage and brought him in to that house of liberty. And he, he was never the same. And he, he kept on emailing me long after that event. He's still saved. He's still delivered. He's still free, walking in the resurrection life of Jesus, walking in newness of life. Do you think that came because I, I just encouraged him with some positive thinking? No, that was a result. That's what ministers are called to do. We're not called to go out and just encourage people and, you know, I know life's hard, but you know what? God will give you power to endure. The minister's not called to tell people that they can cope with the attack. The minister is called to minister. That's why we're called ministers. We're to minister the resurrection life of God from this vessel into the people so that they can finally step out of the torment of Satan and step 
in to the life abundant that Jesus came to give. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. That's the life that's going to come on you today in the name of Jesus. We didn't come to play games today. It's going to be a bad day for the devil and a good day for the children of God. Whatever the devil still has a hold on in your life, he's, you are breaking free from it today. His hand is being broken off your life today. You are walking in the resurrection power from today. And every ounce of death that the devil has sought to keep in your life, to keep you down with, it breaks off your life. Every chain of hell is being snapped off your body and your life right now by the power of God's resurrection. Paul says, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is empty, our preaching is empty, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. He said, if dead, the dead don't rise, Christ didn't rise, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's useless. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've died and gone to hell. If in this life only, Paul says, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. If in this life, if Christ is just some crutch to get us through life, but he actually died and stayed dead, we are of all men most to be pitied. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, it shows that God did not receive the sacrifice of Jesus. Because that's the resurrection proves that God received the sacrifice. Jesus' death was the sacrifice. Jesus' resurrection was proof that heaven received the sacrifice and that it now provided a way of escape from, the, from hell and from the, the, the bondage and prison of sin. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, meaning it just gives us this false sense of security for this life only. We're of all men most to be pitied. We might as well just give up. Might as well just live your best life now because once you die, hell's gates await you. But verse 20 finishes off by saying, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Listen to this in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, Paul starts off the letter by saying this. Paul is a, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Verse 4, listen to this. And he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of, of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, God declared Jesus was his son when he raised him from the dead. It validated the claims of Christ that said that he was the son of God. Declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection was the validation on heaven's part that that was indeed God's son. So you can't toy around with the resurrection it's everything. It means everything. The meaning of the resurrection is a theological matter. So what Christ accomplished in dying and rising again is a theological matter. But the fact of the resurrection is a historical matter. That's what Miles Perlman said. I want to read some quotes to you that I dug up in a book by Josh McDowell called A Ready Defense. And these are quotes of not 
you know, just random Joe Blows off the street. These are brilliant people. Some of the world's wisest people in terms of uh, academia who studied about the resurrection and the historicity of the resurrection, and this is what they came up with, okay? I'm going to read you some quotes. So these are the facts about Christ's resurrection, things that prove uh, the fact that Christ raised from the dead. These are things that prove the historicity of the resurrection, that it's not a theological, you know, we're not just blindly following something that, you know, you can actually go to Jerusalem and see Jesus' body in the tomb, that we've just, you know, the body's there, but we know that his resurrection was spiritual and one day the body will come. We're, that's, not what we're, that's not what we're basing our faith on. Faith, you know, listen to this. Christianity is accessed by faith. That is established in Ephesians 2 and Hebrews 10 and other parts of the Bible. Christianity is accessed by faith. But Christianity is based on fact. Jesus rose from the dead. We're not blindly believing that. The tomb is empty. You know, think of it this way. All the devil has ever had to do to disprove Christianity, all the Jews ever had to do to throw this thing away and solve the the Christ was a lunatic statements that they, that they made. All that they've ever had to do to throw this thing in the can was to provide a body. But they couldn't provide a body because there was no body to provide. That's all they've ever had to do. The devil, all he had to do was supply a body with the DNA of Christ. He hasn't been able to do it, and you'll never be able to do that because Christ not only rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says he lives forevermore. John on the island of Patmos saw Jesus in his resurrected state, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. His hair was like uh, white like snow, his face like the sun shining in its brilliance. And he said his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the scripture says, John fell as dead, but Jesus lifted him up by his right hand. And he said, don't be afraid, John. I am he who was dead, but behold, I now live and I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he said, now go and tell everyone. That's why we can't, you know, people say, why can't you Christians, keep your beliefs to yourself. It's against our religion to keep our, our beliefs to ourselves. The fact is, is Jesus rose from the dead. And from day to day, until Jesus takes me home or the rapture happens, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in it is the power of God to set men free. Listen to this. This is the historical standpoint of the resurrection of Christ. Professor Thomas Arnold, 14 years, headmaster of rugby, author of the three-volume History of Rome, holder of the chair of modern history at Oxford University, not ITT Tech, Oxford University. This is what he said. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. This is Brooke Foss Westcott, English scholar a textual critic, taking all the evidence together 
it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University called Dr. Paul L. Meyer. He concluded that if all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable according to the canons of historical research to conclude that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter. And no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary resources, epigraphy, epigraphy, or archaeology that would disprove this statement. This is Lord Caldesot, Lord Chief Justice of England. My faith, so this is his journey into the faith. My faith began with and was grounded on what I thought was revealed in the Bible. When particularly I came to the New Testament, the Gospels and other writings of the men who had been friends of Jesus Christ seemed to me to make an overwhelming case, merely as a matter of strict evidence for the fact therein stated. The same approach to the cardinal test of the claims of Jesus Christ, namely his resurrection, has led me, as I have often tried to examine the evidence, to believe it as a fact beyond dispute. This is Simon Greenleaf, Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University. And so, Royal Professor of Law at Harvard succeeded Justice Joseph Story as the Dane Professor of Law in the same university namely Harvard. The rise of Harvard Law School to its eminent position among the legal schools of the United States is to be ascribed to the efforts of these two men. So this guy is the cause of Harvard getting to where it was, and this is what he said. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts, so he went out to prove the resurrection based on the same laws used in legal courts, and he came to the conclusion that there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. This is E.M. Blakelock. I'm, I'm really going to nail these, these, these in because these, these are brilliant minds that are, a lot of them were not even Christians before they set out to study the resurrection of Christ. This is what E.M. Blakelock said. I am... A historian. My approach to classics is historical. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most facts of ancient history. Someone else said that there's more proof that Jesus lived and rose, died and rose from the dead than that Caesar ever even lived. There's more documents from the ancient world that proves Jesus rose from the dead than that Caesar ever even lived. So if we're gonna call, if we're gonna call uh, Caesar's life a fact and teach it as fact in history class, then if we use the same uh, rationality and if we use the same unbiased approach with regards to the resurrection of Christ, we also have to call the resurrection a fact. This is Clark Pinnock of McMaster University. There exists no documents of the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimony than the resurrection of Christ. Skepticism regarding the historical credentials of Christianity is based on an irrational bias. So Clark Pinnock, in essence, is saying 
It's not irrational to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's irrational to believe that Jesus did not rise from the dead because of the overwhelming evidence stemming forth from the first century AD. F.F. Bruce of Manchester University said, if the New Testament was a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. If the Bible... what. F.F. Bruce is saying is if the Bible and the New Testament in uh, particular was a collection of non-religious writings, if it was just talking about some historic event that happened that had nothing to do with God or religious philosophies, it would be regarded as beyond all doubt. Nobody would doubt it because of the overwhelming evidence. A.N. Sherwin White, classical Roman historian, said this, for the New Testament of Acts... The confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must appear absurd. So those are like 10 quotes from people who went out to study the resurrection, who were brilliant either historians, archaeologists, professors of ancient history, whatever they were, they went out to set... Uh, to study the resurrection, and they came back with the realization that this thing is not just a matter of belief and theology. There is historical fact the tomb is empty. Turn with me to John 11. So now that we talked about the historicity of the resurrection, you know, I I went through that because there's a lot of people, even Christians, who I believe don't even... They, they almost, because, you know, you go through secular school, you go through university, and they make it seem like if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, that you're, you're, you've lost your marbles, that you have loose screws in your brain, that you're a simple person, that you're an idiot, that you're a moron. You have professors that mock, even in their own classrooms, people that call themselves Christians. There's that movie, God's Not Dead, that is a, uh, actually documents a real thing that happened, that a uh, a, a student went into his classroom and the classroom professor said, is anyone here a Christian? And there was his hand that went up and he began to just lay into him and, and totally dump on him mockeries and, 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 and he scoffed at him and he made him feel like he was an idiot, which led him to go out and study the subject. You know, they modern modern secular society makes you feel like you're an an ignorant simpleton if you believe in this but you you realize i mean c.s lewis who wrote mere christianity was by no means an ignorant simpleton the guy was a brilliant professor and and philosopher and a staunch atheist at that who actually i read a bit about his story yesterday and when he concluded that jesus indeed rose from the dead he said i was the most dejected convert i like Against my will, prayed and accept Christ into my heart. Like he was so, he was such a staunch atheist who didn't want to part from his lifestyle that he, because of the history and his studies on the resurrection, he had no choice. He had to either shut off his mind to what he had just found out and discovered or he had to believe. And so he said he was like the most unwilling convert. But he, he converted regardless, and he wrote Mere Christianity and many other books that have blessed Christianity to today. John 11, listen to this. So why do we talk about the resurrection? John chapter 11. 
You have Jesus that gets to the tomb of Lazarus and Mary meets him. This is what Mary says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21, verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. And we all know what happened. Jesus went on to call Lazarus' name. Lazarus came out of the tomb and they unloosed his grave clothes and he went on to live many years after that. But I read that specific scripture in John 11 to show you. Many Christians have the merry mindset. Yes, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the dead. I know one day they'll, you know, we'll taste of that resurrection power. And they... They lay no claim to that resurrection power here and now. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he didn't come out and say, you know, one day Lazarus will rise from the dead. He came and proved that that resurrection power was available to Lazarus now. And if it was available to Lazarus then, it's available to you now. I want you to read this with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul writes. Verse 17 and 18. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may gift you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding would be opened or enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory in His inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power that is available to those who believe. So the Bible says the exceeding greatness of his power that is available towards those who believe. Well, what is he talking about when he's talking about the exceeding greatness of God's power? He goes on to describe exactly what he meant. Which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So the exceeding greatness of his power, in the original Greek, it literally means the greatest manifestation of God's power that is available to you. So the resurrection, Paul says, is the greatest manifestation of God's power ever recorded. And the Bible doesn't say that it's awaiting us one day, although there will be a resurrection of our bodies. The Bible says it's available now to those that believe. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, his divine power has been granted to you for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. That by these great and magnificent promises, you might become a partaker of the divine nature. So the Bible doesn't say we have to wait till heaven till we start to taste and see of this resurrection life. The Bible says by the power, by the, the, the faith in God's word, you can partake of God's divine power and it will benefit you in life. Not in the afterlife, in life. God's resurrection power is available to you now. I want you to write that in the comment section. God's power is available to me. God's power is available to me. Not only is it available, it's accessible to you. It's accessible. See, if you just see the resurrection as some like thing of the past, 
You've made Christianity a stale thing, a stale religion. Christianity is not just believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you know, that was Christ, and then one day, one day in the future, we'll, we'll, we'll taste of that resurrection power. That's where you have this dead religion, where people, you know, they have this, this idea that before Christ, after Christ, nothing's different. It's only when we enter into eternity that things will change for me. And they continue to suffer at the hands of the devil without mercy because he takes advantage of that level of ignorance. You know, people ask, well, if, God, well, if the devil did it, God allowed him to do it. No, God allows what you allow and your, ignig- your ignorance is what sets the boundaries as to what God will allow in your life. If you're ignorant to what that resurrection life does for you now, then you'll be disqualified from partaking of that resurrection life here and now. So Christianity becomes some like mystical, ethereal, hope-based thing. If all you do is look back to the resurrection and say, well, you know, at least we have a hope one day. The resurrection, the Bible says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. So he's not talking about this dead religion. He's talking about this life-giving, energy-imparting religion. That resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you to then strengthen your body, give life where there was death, to give you what Jesus said, that life abundance. Christianity is not an ethereal thing. Christianity, in essence, John G. Lake used to say this, it is the uniting of divine, uh, of divinity and humanity in you. It's where the old man, the old sinful flesh is exterminated and you put on divinity. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you start to walk in newness of life as a result. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Christianity isn't some old stale thing. It's not... It's not a past religion. It's a living thing. It's a living thing. It's a, you know, the Bible says he has set us free from the laws of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So the spirit, it's a spirit of life. It's a life-giving spirit. Listen to this, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So I've written down here, actually, before I read Romans 6, I've written down here five things that resurrection power will do to the believer. And number one is I wrote regeneration. Resurrection life. The very fact that you were able to be born again is because of resurrection life. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then neither could you rise from the pit of sin. But this is what Romans Romans 6, 3 says. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we can walk in newness of life. He's talking about the new life that's in Christ Jesus, the regeneration of the human spirit. Remember, when we sinned, 
Our, our spirit man died. The thing that was created in God's likeness died. The Bible says you were dead in sin. Well, you weren't physically dead in sin because your body was still alive. Your heart was still beating. Your soul, your mind was still functioning because you were able to think. You were able to make decisions for yourself. But what died? Why did God tell Adam in the day you eat of that fruit, you will die if he lived on 930 something years? It was his spirit man. It was the God nature in him that died. That's why Jesus had to come to bring you life, to regenerate that spirit, to create. In, the Bible says in you, the new man. The Bible says we put off the old man and we have put on the new man, created in the likeness of God. Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. Titus 3 verses 5 and 6 says that the Holy Ghost was poured on us in an abundant manner, thereby regenerating us and renewing us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the power in Jesus' blood is important. Sorry, rather, the power in Jesus' resurrection is the same substance that regenerated, you know, Jesus said in John 3, unless you are born again, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's that same resurrection life that was in Christ that regenerated you and caused you to be born from above, born again. Romans 6 says, now that you're born again, what does it mean to be born again? It means to be broken free from the grip of sin and now alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's not just, you know, how many of you know we're, we're born again, we're saved, but we're still sinners. It doesn't even make sense to think of yourself that way. You're either born again or you're dead in sin. That's what Paul says. If we've been united together in the likeness of his death, we will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this resurrection power didn't only cause us to be born again so we can go around saying, I'm a born again Christian, but it gives you power to dominate over sin, gives you power to have victory in the area of sin. So that sin's not having victory over you, you have victory over sin. That you're not bound to sin, but you're now a slave to righteousness and a slave to Christ. That's what Paul says. He who has died has been freed from sin. So you got to stop, stop talking about yourself like you're still bound to sin. How many know we're still sinners? You start calling yourself as a sinner, you're identifying with the sin nature that it still has victory over you. Instead, say what the Bible says about you. I'm freed from sin. I want you to write that in the comment section. I'm free from sin. I'm freed from sin. You want to know why we have this perpetual cycle of sin in the church where it's just people that, uh, I have a struggle with this sin. I struggle with that sin. You really, biblically speaking, you shouldn't struggle with any sin. I know that's going to rub people the wrong way, but that's just what the scripture says. Paul didn't say he who has died has, you know, has spiritually been set free from sin, but practically he's still going to live in sin. He who has died has been free from sin. For if we've died in Christ, we live in him. Knowing that Christ died, uh, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Likewise, verse 11, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Stop saying, you know, 
you know, we all, we all fall short, you know. You did fall short. You've been redeemed by his blood. Now you're seen as perfect, above reproach, spotless in his sight because he made peace with us through the blood of his cross. It's like people in, 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 in theory, they believe all these things, but in, in their confession, they disavow what they believe in theory. In theory, they call them, you know, how many of you know, they sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. But then in confession, they live as slaves to fear. Do you hear about this? Do you hear about that? We have to stop being hypocritical Christians. If I believe it, and if I sing it, and if I, if I, in church on Sunday morning, amen it, then throughout the week, Monday through Friday, through Saturday, through the next Sunday, through the entire week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess it. I'm gonna hold fast to my confession of faith. Christianity is not, it's not about God giving you, you know, grace so that every time you sin, you can pick yourself back up and he gives you power. Though there's a struggle with sin in this life, he gives you power, you know, we're able to, to see his mercy. That's one, that's like baby steps Christianity. When you start to walk in what I'm talking about today, resurrection power, you see that I don't have to struggle with this thing anymore. I don't have to struggle with drinking anymore. I don't have to struggle with drugs anymore. I don't have to struggle. The devil wants nothing more than to get you to believe that life is a struggle with sin. And there's a lot of preachers that will accommodate that unscriptural theology and get you to believe the same thing. And most of the time, I, th I honestly think it's because they themselves have never had this revelation and they struggle with sin, so they preach it. Because they can't fathom. Well, I know what the Bible says, but if I'm not living it, then it must not be true. Who made you the standard for Christianity, sir preacher? I had this, I w was watching an Instagram reel a couple of, maybe last year, and there was this preacher that got up on Sunday morning and he took off his jacket and under it, he had a white shirt and on it was every like wicked thing, adulterer, liar, fornicator, sexually immoral, all these things on his shirt. And he told his co congregation, I want you guys to know I'm the worst sinner in this entire room. If you think that you're a worse sinner than me, then I'll, I'll sin you. I, I, I sin you. I'm not kidding. I saw this with my own eyes. And he was trying to say, but I want you to know it's the grace of God. But by the grace of God. We, the Bible says such were some of you. Not such are some of you. I was all those things. I was a murderer. I was an insolent man. I was an unbeliever. I was uh, uh, an idolater. I was uh, sexually immoral. All those things. But the Bible says that we've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been sanctified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to continue to call yourself those things after you've come to the saving knowledge of Christ and redemption is a disgrace to the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an insult to the spirit of grace as to what grace has called you to be and made you to be. And that man is going to have to give an account to, to Christ on the day of judge, on, on the day of judgment, if if he even you know makes heaven, which I pray he does. Paul didn't say, you know, how many of you know, how many of you know, uh, we're never going to break free from sin. Sin's sin's going to be our constant enemy, and uh, 
But amen for grace. Haha, <laughs> amen. No. We're no longer slaves of sin. We've been freed from sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We are dead to sin. Sin no longer reigns in our mortal body. Verse 12 says that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin any longer. Resurrection power empowers you to no longer give your body to sin. But you now have, you know what happened when, when man sinned, the original sin? It put the, man, the flesh man, the carnal man in charge. And the spirit man was subject to the carnal man. When Christ died for us and we were raised to life in our spirit man, it then put the spirit man in charge and the carnal man subdued. That's what Paul's saying. You don't have to present your body as an instrument to sin. You can present by the resurrection power of Christ in you, you can present your body to Christ as an instrument of righteousness to God. That's what happened to me. These hands, they used to be used to roll joints and smoke up and do all kinds of drugs. But now they're used to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. These eyes used to be used to look at all kinds of, of, of nonsense. But now they're used to behold the wonders of the word of God. These feet used to take me to all kinds of wicked places, bars, clubs. But now they're shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and they take me through the four corners of the globe proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. These ears used to hear and be exposed to all kinds of crappy music and sinful things. But now they're inclined to the voice of God, to the word of God, to receive instructions from heavens, from heaven to do that which God's called me to do. This heart used to be open to all kinds of wicked things and agendas. But now it's been open to behold the surpassing greatness of God's power towards them that believe. That's what Paul's saying. For sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You're no longer under law. You're under grace. People used to read that. Well, I'm not under law. I can go and do whatever I want. No. What he's saying is resurrection power gives you the enablement to subdue the flesh and have dominion over the carnal nature so you can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel unto which you were called. Number one, regeneration. I'm not just talking about, I call myself a Christian, I belong to a church, I tick off the box that says Christian, I even write Pentecostal next to it. I'm talking about, are you born again? Has the resurrection life of God regenerated you where your desires are different, where your passions are different? If you're not, I'm going to give you an invitation at the end of this broadcast, so stay, stay tuned. Number one, regeneration. Number two, what does resurrection power do to the believer? Gives you access to the Father. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 9. This is, this, it's about to get toasty in here. Hebrews chapter 9. So if you haven't had a chance to share the broadcast, please do. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse, verse uh, 6 to 8. Now when these things had been thus prepared, he's talking about the earthly service in the temple. The priests always went into the first part of the, temp, the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went in once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this. Listen to this. Verse 8. Hebrews 9, 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this. That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest 
while the first tabernacle was still standing. So the Bible says, under the law and under the system of the law, the way into God's very presence was not yet made manifest. It wasn't possible to come into God's presence and say, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name, we couldn't come boldly into the throne of grace and mercy. Verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What did Jesus do? With his own blood, so after his resurrection, he went up, and ascended on high, appeared before God, he entered the most holy place once for all. For who? For all. That includes you, that includes me. And what did he do? He obtained for us eternal redemption. So because Christ entered the most holy place once for all, he didn't just do it for himself, he then made a way for all to enter into the most holy place. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up with, without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he's a mediator of a new covenant. Verse 24 of Hebrews 9. For Christ has, has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hallelujah. Skip to verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. So Paul says, Jesus did all of that for us. He entered into the holy place once for all, having made a new way for us, to enter into God's, it was impossible for the general public to access God's very own presence, to ask him for help, to receive deliverance, to call unto him so that he would answer us. Jesus was the pure spotless lamb of God who satisfied the demands of God's justice at that cross. And it was proven when he raised from the dead. When he raised from the dead, he ascended on high and ascended into the most holy place for us. And this is the result of it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Remember, we just read it. Once a year, the high priest could come in to the holy of holies and not without the blood of an animal. And they used to tie on him a bell with a rope on the other side of the, the, the tent. Just par chance that he wasn't fully sanctified and cleansed that if he appeared before God in that manner, not fully purified, he would drop dead on the spot. So the bell would stop ringing because he wouldn't be walking and ministering, doing his priestly ministry, and they would drag his body out. And it happened. So once a year, one guy was able to come. Jesus went as the perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, and he appeared before God for us all, why? So that we now can have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the new and living way, 
which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, I love this. Let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Well, what did we say before? 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is empty. You can't have assurance of anything. But because Christ rose from the dead, we can draw near with a true assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access to the Father. The resurrection gives us confidence that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted and a new and living way was provided for the redeemed to come before the Father. Think of it. John 16. Jesus says that until now you've asked nothing in my name. But in that day, I tell you, you're not going to ask me anything. You can go directly to the Father and ask him anything. What was he referring to in that day when he said in that day? He said in that day, you're not going to ask me anything. You're going to go before the Father himself and you can ask anything in my name and it will be done for you by my Father who is in heaven that your joy may be made full. What's that day? Jesus was referring to the day that he would enter into the holies in his resurrection, resurrected form into the holy of holies to obtain eternal redemption for us all so that we now would have this divine privilege to come before God, to call unto him so that he'll answer us and show us great and mighty things which we know not of. That's what I love about Jesus in John chapter 20. Mary sees Jesus. He says, Mary, she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized this was Jesus. And she comes and tries to grab him, but he says, hey, hey, hold off. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but now go and tell the disciples I'm alive and tell them I'm going to my Father. And I love this. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Spirit on this. I'm going to my Father and I'm going to your Father. I'm going to my God and I'm going to your God. Jesus ascended. Before the, in, into the Holy of Holies. And that marked a, a, a shifting moment for humanity where we no longer have to, as the redeemed, no longer have to just call God, God. We can call him God. And if you're redeemed by the blood, you can call him Father. And you don't have to go through a priest or a prophet or anybody else. You can have boldness to approach God on the basis of our righteousness because of the finished work of the cross. What's the finished work? It's not just that he died, it's that he rose again. And we have a confidence now to approach him. And the Bible says we can ask him anything, anything in the name of Jesus and he'll do it for us. Because Christ is now our eternal mediator. He's our mediator. Hallelujah. You have access to the Father. And you know what the good news is? is if you have access to the Father, you have access to his helping hand. You can pray for anything, the Bible says. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. So instead of praying these cheap, pitiable prayers, God, I don't know if you hear me. He hears you. If you're blood bought, blood washed, and you believe on Christ's resurrection, He hears you. And you can ask Him anything. And the Bible says, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who knocks, the door is open. Jesus said in very clear terms, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you've received it. Believe that God's power is able to deliver it and you will have it. 
That's why we have this amazing, we have an advantage over the world. The world can't pray to God because God doesn't hear everybody's prayers. The Bible says if you have iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. The Bible says God, his ears are closed to the wicked. The only prayer that God hears with regards to the world is the one that when they pray, Lord, forgive me and wash me by your blood. I repent and I believe. That's the only prayer. But as a believer, you have a, an advantage. You have a great advantage over the world because we have supernatural assistance that is accessible through this wonderful tool called prayer. And the Bible says that the effective prayer or the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or it brings forth many wonderful results so don't cheap out in your prayers don't ask God for the minimum ask him for the maximum because you're not at you know the Bible says we don't serve an idol that has eyes but can't see that has ears but can't hear that has hands but can't do anything to help anyone we serve a God who made the heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched arm and he said that he is able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask think or imagine according to his great power hallelujah and there's nothing too difficult for him there's nothing that's too hard for him number three what does the resurrection power of god do to the believer it gives him healing power if death remember let me read this acts chapter two i love this scripture especially around this time of the year Acts chapter 2, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified, you put him to death. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. God loosed Jesus' body from the chains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Sickness, the objective of sickness is death. Death is sickness's master. And if the master of sickness, death, could not hold the physical body of Jesus down, but when the Spirit of God entered into his body, it quickened his mortal body. It's not like Jesus had heart problems. He didn't have a functioning heart. It's not like Jesus had blood pressure problems. He had no, he had zero over zero blood pressure. He flatlined and was four day, uh, three days dead. It's not like Jesus had migraines. He had no grains. His brain was dead. It's not like he had no ability to walk. He, he had no neurological system that was functioning. He was dead. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God overthrew the work of death in his body and Jesus' body sprang back to life again. Not only, I mean, that requires not only resurrection, but healing. Everything in his body was restored. Everything in his body was made brand new. Everything in his body, the Bible says, he is the first fruit of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 11 says, if that same spirit lives in you, and we know that that resurrection power is not something we're reaching forward to, it's something that God's already deposited on the inside of you. 
Because if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, the Bible says you don't even belong to Christ. You're still in your sins. So if you call yourself a Christian, the Scripture says you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Bible says we're to glorify God in our spirit and our bodies. Well, how do you glorify God in your body? Certainly not by staying sick. Sickness glorifies the devil. But God's resurrection power has made a way where you can know, you can you can break free from the work of sickness in your body and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead goes to work in your body to physically make good and quicken, make alive every organ, every bone, every blood vessel, every vein, every vital organ in your body to receive new life today. Hallelujah. If death, which was the devil's strongest weapon, could not keep Jesus' body down, because of the resurrection power of God in him. How much more? If, if death had no power over Jesus, and Jesus holds the keys of hell, death, hell, and the grave, then everything under death's chain of command, cancer, diabetes, multiple cirrhosis, fibromyalgia, ALS, neurological disorders, leprosy, for goodness sakes, whatever it is, skin disorders, Headaches, migraines, tumors, pains in the back, pains in the feet. All of it is under death's chain of command. And if death was defeated, all of them get swallowed up by the resurrection power of God. That's the type and symbol of Moses' staff when he laid it on the, on the ground and it turned into a serpent. And Egypt, the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian magicians, they laid their staffs, they had three, threw it on the ground, they turned into serpents. What happened? The staff of Moses, which which represents God's power, swallowed up the three staffs of the Egyptians, swallowed it and burped, burped them right out. That was a type and symbol of what the resurrection life of God does when it enters into your system. It swallows up all the work of the devil. It swallows up the work of sickness. It swallows up the work of depression. It swallows up the work of OCD. That's what I tapped into 10 years ago when I was sick with OCD and the doctors gave me pills and the doctors said, you have to go to therapy the rest of your life. And I went to counselors and they couldn't help me. But when I saw that Christ bore my sickness in his body, carried my pains and if he had stayed dead then the power of sickness would have proved to be stronger than Jesus but he raised from the dead which shows you that sickness doesn't have power over the body of Christ and I've been made a partaker of the body of Christ I'm part of the body of Christ and as such when I saw that it eliminated OCD had no power to contend with that revelation the entrance of his word brought light and I've been walking free for the last 10 years and I'll walk free until Jesus takes me home because whom the son sets free is free and free indeed I tell you by the power of the resurrection life of God that's already in you as you come into the revelation of what I'm talking about right here every long standing problem in your body every sickness and disease everything the doctor said you'll live forever with it's coming out it's being exterminated it's being flushed out of your body right now whether the devil likes it or not his field day is over from today you're walking in divine health and strength in jesus mighty name oh hallelujah hallelujah healing for your body the bible says in hebrews 2 14 
Jesus partook of flesh and blood that he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus, the devil had the power of death. The devil had the power to make you sick. Now the only reason he could put sickness on you is if you still believe he carries the same power to make you sick. But the Bible says he was stripped of that power. He was stripped of that privilege. Jesus has the power of death. The devil doesn't get to decide when you die. Jesus, the Bible says, holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And he already made a statement concerning you. With law and life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. You can choose to believe the devil's report that he can, he can put sickness on you. You can die at any time. Or you can choose to believe what God said that he'll give you a long, satisfactory life. How could you plug into resurrection power and have it on the... How could, how could, a, how could you... How could you... Believe that you have resurrection power on the inside of you and tolerate pain in your body. It, 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 it has to go. And there has to come a point where there's a violence in your spirit where you don't put up with the devil's crap in your life any longer. You say enough is enough. You've, you've stayed, you've overstayed your welcome. And you take action. If you'll say to this mountain, Jesus said, don't just pray. Don't pray about the mountain. Jesus already did everything in his power to break you free. You don't pray about the mountain. Jesus said you say to the mountain. Stop tolerating the mountain. Stop trying to climb your mountain. Stop trying to get away around the mountain. Start to speak to the mountain. Mountain of sickness. You have not. You have no choice but to leave. I uproot you from this body in Jesus' name. I tell you, there's some of you watching right now. That there's tumors in your body. Doctors said that we're going to have to do surgery and all that. But I tell you, before the hand of any surgeon goes into your body, the hand of Jesus, the invisible hand of God that did surgery on Adam in the Garden of Eden when he took a rib out and he stitched him up without any scars, the hand of God is going right into your body right now. And he's withering up. Every single tumor in your body, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Number four, what does resurrection power do to you? Gives you supernatural strength. Bible says that Elijah, by the Spirit of God, the hand of the Lord came on him, which represents the power of God. Anytime you see the hand of the Lord, the hand of God, it's, it's, it's symbolic of God's power. And when the hand of the Lord came on Elijah, he outran the chariots of, of Ahab unto the wall of Jezreel. The Bible says of Samson that when the hand of the Lord came on him, he, he destroyed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, we've not received the spirit of fear or weakness, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That's the resurrection power of God that we've, it doesn't say we have, we're going to receive it. It says we have received the spirit of power. <coughs> the spirit of power that was in Samson that enabled him to be supernaturally strong is the same spirit of power that's in you. That's why Joel said, let the weak then say in that day, I am strong. I'm not weak anymore. I'm strong. I'm not frail anymore. I'm strong. Stop saying I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I don't know how I'll make it. I'm weak. I just feel like I, uh, I, I have no energy. I'm low energy. Stop saying that. Start to say I'm, I'm strong because of the resurrection power of God that I've connected to that flows through me. I love this one song. I forget the name of the song, but it says resurrection life flows in my veins. Oh, hallelujah. What a powerful way 
Uh, what a powerful truth. You got to start seeing yourself that way. When you wake up in the morning, regardless of how you feel, you got to say the resurrection life flows through my veins. Hallelujah. That's why Paul said, and he didn't doubt it. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things because resurrection life lives on the inside of me. His divine power enables me to do and accomplish all things that pertain to my life and destiny. Hallelujah. Bible says, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly all that you can ask, think, or imagine, according to what? His power that works in you, that works in you. There is tremendous power that is in you. And I said this on a recent broadcast. I said, you can have a, a billion dollars worth of oil in your backyard. If you don't know it's there and you don't learn to tap into it, it ain't going to do you any good. It's called an, an untapped resource. And the greatest untapped resource in a Christian's life, a lot of the times, is the resurrection power. It lies dormant in them. They don't do anything with it. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, the power is already there. It's not, God, I need power. It's, I have the power. Start to change your confession. Lord, give me strength. To, instead of saying that, Lord, I thank you that I have strength in me because of your resurrection power. That's, what, that's the way Paul saw himself. I mean, think of it. Paul didn't just believe that the resurrection life was good enough for him. He understood that there was such an overflow of God's power in him that he I mean, think of it. There was no scripture he could stand on. Acts 19.11, God worked extraordinary miracles by his hands. Then handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to those that were sick and they were healed and demons came out of other people. There was no scripture. It's not like he can go to Exodus 15.10 and it says, and he shall take handkerchiefs from his body. There was no scripture he can stand on. Why did Paul suddenly in Acts 19 start to say, you know what? Starts to trim pieces off his garments and saying take this to the sick person i can't make it tonight but take it to them and put it on them they'll be healed take this to that demonized person they'll be healed he had a revelation galatians 2 20 tells you the revelation he has i've been crucified with christ the weak ugly stupid dumb unwise powerless person crucified with christ it's no longer i that lives christ lives in me and because Christ lives in me, I know that just like Jesus, they touched the hem of his garment and they were made well of whatever disease they had. If people can just get a hold of what's on me, they'll get the same power flowing through them and they'll break free from sickness and disease. Paul understood, I carry such an overflow of strength, I can take pieces of my clothes and give it to others. I was in the Dominican Republic and there was a man who, uh, he was translating me, for me that night and his father-in-law was lying sick, dying with the dengue fever and an infection in his lungs and the, they had already made funeral arrangements because he was going to die in the next week. That night, I couldn't make it to his side of the island, but I took, I took my handkerchief off my suit, and I anointed with oil, prayed over it, gave it to him, and I said, go and put this on your, on your, uh, your father-in-law. He went and did it. He could have been like, ah, you know, that guy's so arrogant, couldn't even come pray. What am I going to do with this? Used it to blow his nose. Instead, he had faith. He brought it to his father-in-law, laid it on his lungs, laid it on his head, because he had crazy fever. 
And uh, he went to bed that night. The next morning he woke up, went to the kitchen to get himself breakfast, and there was his father-in-law who hadn't been up for two weeks. He was in, the, in a sick bed. Where was his father-in-law eating cereal and said, hey, good morning. He said, what are you doing up here? He said, I feel better. I don't know what happened. It, this thing just lifted off me. I feel like a brand new person. And he then went on to explain exactly what happened, that the handkerchief was brought on his body. I, I'm not going to be, you know, falsely humble and say well no that was Paul no if Paul was able to do it I carry this I don't carry a different spirit I carry the same spirit and if the spirit in Paul did it then the spirit in me can do it I had faith to be ridiculous enough to give him a handkerchief within the natural it looks foolish God was bold enough to perform his word and accomplish a victory for that man hallelujah you look at Peter in Acts chapter 5 just his shadow was falling on people these men were conscious of this power in them. Peter wasn't going around. Let's keep them in prayer, brethren. Okay. Peter and John are going to the hour of prayer in Acts chapter 3. There's a man that's lame, paralyzed from his mother's womb and never walked. And they, he sees Peter and John about to enter into the temple and ask them for money. What did Peter and John do? John, you know what? Today I was going to pray about you know something that was happening to me, but this guy really... He struck a, a heart chord in me, and I'm, I'm just going to spend the entire hour praying for, for him that God would minister to him and God. He didn't do that. He said, hey, silver and gold we don't have. But he said, such as I do have. Oh, hallelujah. What was he talking about when he said, such as I do have? What did he have? What did Peter and John have? What did they understand they had? resurrection life flowing on the inside of them that when they they knew peter knew if i can just touch him it'll be like live wire he'll get electrocuted with the same stuff and whatever paralysis he has he'll spring back to life oh hallelujah the bible says the man began to walk and leap and sprint and jump and praise god hallelujah that same electricity of heaven is being transmitted through your body right now divine strength and energy is being imparted into your body right now weakness is leaving your body fragility is leaving your body fatigue is leaving your body and strength holy ghost strength is being imputed imparted into you just like david said by my god i can leap over a wall I can, he wasn't saying, by my God, I get through the week. Oh, praise the Lord, I can get through the week. He wasn't saying, I get through the week. He said, by my God, I can leap over a wall. I can run through a troop. He makes my feet like hinds feet to ride on the high places of the earth. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. I mean, think of it, a bow of bronze, bending metal. David said, my arms are strengthened to bend a bow of bronze. The Bible says he gives strength to his anointed. Hallelujah. Stop saying, I, God, give me power to get through the week. Instead say, I thank you that I've got power to excel this week. I've got power to flourish this week. I've got power. I'll do three, four, five times as much as normal people do because they have a, they're at a disadvantage. They have human strength. They have fleshly strength. They have human ability. I've got God's ability. I've been united with Christ in, in redemption. And what was in Christ and isn't in Christ is in me now. Number five, 
What does the resurrection power do to the believer? The resurrection gives you dominating power over the devil and demons. Remember, when Christ died, he didn't just stay relaxing in that tomb, whistling and waiting. Praise the Lord. Someone just, John Stafford from Plattsburgh, just wrote my sciatica and back strain is gone. Praise God. I knew people were being healed. I knew it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If, if God's power has hit you in your body, write it in the comment section. I want to I hear of it. Praise the Lord. Sciatica is no joke. I had it once. Uh, I was scheduled to preach that night, and I bent over, and my, my, man, my back just it was in incredible pain. And I didn't cancel the meeting. I went to the meeting, and I was like, a, I, I mean, I like, I like had my wife carry me to the meeting. The moment I got, I sat throughout worship, the moment I got the mic, I, that resurrection life hit me. And the sciatica left me too. Praise the Lord. The resurrection gives you dominating power over the devil. What did Jesus do when he, when he was dead? He went into the lowest, the Bible says, and he stripped the devil of his authority and his power. And Jesus said, all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. And he said, now I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Luke 10, 19 says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Uh, nevertheless, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the scripture says that demons are subject to you now in the name of Jesus. The victory of the resurrection or the triumph, rather, of the resurrection, was a triumph over the devil and all his forces. And so if Satan is under your feet, every other demon under his chain of command is under, under your feet. People are writing, my headache is gone, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If Satan was defeated by the resurrection because he couldn't hold Jesus' body down. Remember, you know, I'm sure all the forces of hell were against that stone on that Easter morning and trying to hold it back so that Jesus' body would never, have, would never come out. But when the, when the Father gave the command, Son, rise, and the Spirit entered into the body and the angel rolled the stone away, the hordes of hell couldn't hold it back. And so if Satan couldn't hold that back, there's no demon in hell that can hold or hinder you back. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 18 and 19, we are born of God, God's seed abides in us, and the wicked one no longer can touch us. Because as he lives, so are we in this world. Because of God's resurrection power on the inside of the believer, it enables us to carry dominion over the devil to cast him out. Acts 16, Paul's going to some place and there's this demon, demonized lady who kept saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. What did Paul say? I adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Because Paul carried resurrection power and because he understood the power of the name of Jesus, that demon was no match for the command that he gave. The demon left and she was delivered on that, in that moment. You're no longer subject to the devil. He's now subject to you because what's in you is greater than what's in him. All of the power of hell combined 
is not greater than the greater one that lives in you. Greater is he, the Bible says, that lives in you than he that is in the world. The greater one that lives in you is greater than the darkness that surrounds you in society. You're not at the mercy of the devil. The devil is at the mercy of you because Jesus gave him a butt whooping 2,000 years ago and his resurrection marked the defeat and ultimate end of the devil. That's another thing the resurrection does. It, it not only shows that heaven accepted the sacrifice of Christ, but it also nailed in the final nails of the coffin in the devil's fate and his doom. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I love this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. However, we speak wisdom amongst those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, which have come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. He's talking about spiritual rulers, demons. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. The devil was probably having a massive grin on his face every time that Roman soldier nailed a nail into Jesus' hands. When they put the spear into his body and the blood and water flowed out, the devil probably got a party hat on. Hell was rejoicing. Satan and his cohorts were finally partying and, and happy that God had died and God was, was, had, had, had lost, that they had finally overcome heaven. But the Bible says on resurrection morning when his body raised to life, It spoiled their party. Had they known what Jesus' work and the ultimate end of his death, which was the resurrection, would have accomplished, they would have never crucified Jesus. Had they known, had the devil known, that his crucifixion would lead to his resurrection and his resurrection would lead to his ultimate defeat, devil's ultimate defeat, they would have never crucified him. They would have, don't touch him, keep off of him. I know what he's planning. They didn't know God's plans because God's wisdom is wiser than anything and any devil and any man. Hallelujah. And because he lives, it now secures our victory over hell, over darkness. The Bible says he delivered us from the powers of darkness to walk into God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. And because we're members and citizens of heaven, members of the household of God, partakers of God's resurrection power, it enables us to keep the devil under our feet. Not to keep him over our head. You know, there's too many Christians, they live as if the devil's over our head. He's not over our head. He's not eye to eye with us. He's under our feet. And the resurrection power enables the believer to keep him there. Hallelujah. So how do you minister this resurrection power? I talked about what it does, but how do you minister it? Very simple. Mark 16. In my name, these signs will follow them that believe. They will cast out devils. They will lay hands on the sick. In speaking the name of Jesus, giving a command in Jesus' name, is the point where, that's the point of release where the resurrection power begins to flow from you. There was a, a, a lady that was in one of my meetings in Laval, Quebec, and she had, um, she had uh, um, tumors in her uterus. And the doctors told her that she was going to die of this cancer, that it, it was spreading and all that. 
and she hadn't told anyone because she didn't want to be people's pity party. She wanted to, you know, if God could help her, then God could help her. But if what's the point of telling everyone you're dying? To she didn't want to be the the pro, the the prayer project of the community. She didn't want people to just weep over her situation and feel bad because that's what happens. You start spreading news to people. Most of the time, they're just gonna give you sympathy. You don't need sympathy. You need God's help and intervention. So instead, she told her pastor, and that was it. Keep, you know, let's agree in faith. And that was it, just so she can have someone to agree with in faith. Well, I, I was, you know, first time ever meeting her. I was in the service preaching, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit highlighted her to me. I called her out, and I just pointed right at her body, like her, her abdominal area. And I said, you will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Healing power of God flows right through you in Jesus' name. She looked healthy. She didn't look like emaciated. She Plenty of color in her skin. She, she was fine. When I said that, she fell under the power. I went back to the church a year and a half later, two years later. She's still, she's healthy. She's whole. She didn't die. Do- the doctors, uh, the tumor wasn't there anymore. She totally got healed. The resurrection life of God put an end. It, see, it's resurrection life kills all the work of the devil. Isn't that interesting? Resurrection life brings death to the work of the devil. And that's what it did for her. How did I release that power into her body? By the word of God and by speaking it in the name of Jesus. I said, you will live and not die in Jesus' name. And there was a, there was a transference. The Bible says, I said it before, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. You don't pray about the mountain. You don't hope the mountain leaves. You don't wait for the mountain to leave. You don't climb the mountain with your arms wide open. You speak to the mountain in Jesus' name. And the mountain will leave. That's how you inject resurrection life into dead situations. Your family seems like it's your marriage is dead. Start to see. I, I release the resurrection power of Christ. If the power of Christ was able to, if the power of God was able to resurrect a dead body, it can resurrect a dead marriage. If the power of Christ was able to resurrect a dead body, it can resurrect uh, a, a child that's backslidden. Can bring him back. If the power of Christ was able to resurrect a dead body, it can resurrect joy in your home and peace for your family. In Jesus' name, I loose the resurrection power of God into your home. Whatever the devil's done to kill joy, kill health, kill peace in your home, kill the marriage, kill your children's safety, in Jesus' name, the resurrection power of Christ swallows it all up. Hallelujah. If you're watching this right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to get saved today. You have no part or play in the resurrection life of God until you get saved. The Bible says, he that has the son has life. It's not the opposite, uh, the other way around. It's not he that has life has the son. He that has the son has life. The Bible says, he came, Jesus came to his own. The Jews, his own did not receive him, but to as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become children of God. You have to receive the person of Christ before you can have power and partake of that power. To as many as did receive him, to them gave you power to become children of God. If you're watching right now and you've never received Christ into your heart, you're not saved. There's a real hell. You know, one of the things the resurrection of Christ does for us is that we don't have to go to hell. Hell was not created for man. It was created for the devil and his demons. When man sinned, Anyone that chooses to line their life up with Satan and hell's agenda goes to hell. Hell is a real place. And it's too hot for you to go there. 
My grandmother used to always say whenever we would burn ourselves on something, she, she like, or if we touch something hot, she'd say hell is hotter. Just to remind us that no matter how hot a flame is, hell is hotter. There was a man that um, my eva- uh, mentor, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, was uh, preaching somewhere one time. And uh, he was told, he was preaching on hell that night. And he had already decided he was going to preach on hell. Before he got to take the mic, the pastor pulled him aside and he said, you see that guy? He, um, there was a guy in the audience, he was covered in, in fleshly wounds. Burnt, he was a burn victim. And he said, um, that man, a couple of years ago, had his house burned down. I'm not sure if he lost his family in it, but his, he, he, burnt, he was toast. And he survived. And uh, we haven't seen him smile or anything. It's like, I think it was his first time coming to church. He was just in the community. They all knew about him. So Evangelist Tiff, at that moment, he almost felt like, should I change the message? Because it'd be insensitive almost to preach hell with a guy who went through hell on earth in that service. But he went on and preached the same service. He preached the message that the Lord had laid in his heart. The guy was the first person to get to the altar and give his life to Christ. And he told Evangelist Tiff after, said, um, you know, I told him his story. And he said, of the pain and the fire that I went through. If hell's anything like that, I don't want to ever go there. And he made a decision to commit himself to the Lord. And from that day onward, he's been a faithful Christian ever since. Because he actually, he actually felt, the flame, not the flame of hell, but a flame. The flame of hell doesn't go out. The flame of earth goes out. It eventually quench, it's quenched. You can hose it down. The flame of hell never goes out. The Bible says if there's even a worm that doesn't die out. And God made a way so you don't have to spend eternity there by sending Jesus. You know, people always say, why does God send people to hell? He didn't send anybody to hell. He sent Jesus to the earth to actually make sure nobody ever has to go to hell. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on himself so you wouldn't have to endure the wrath of hell. So give your life to Christ today. It's not an option. You have, Jesus is coming back soon. And the Bible says there's a Lamb's book of life. That in Revelation 20, it explains that it'll be opened one day. And the dead in Christ. People that were faithful to Christ. People that live for Christ. All of their names will be written in it. And anyone's name who's not found in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says they'll be, blood, they'll, be, they'll be cast into the lake of fire with the devil, the false prophet, and the beast. I don't want that to be you. You can know that you know today that your account is settled in heaven, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have peace with God. And the simple way is ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And C, confess Christ as Lord and commit your life to Him. Pray this with me. If that's you, if you've never given your life to Christ, you need to pray it right now. If you have, you need to pray this with me right now. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Let old things pass away. Everything become new. I repent of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Destroy all that the devil has set up in my life. And give me power. To live for you all the days of my life. Heaven is my home. God is my father. And Jesus is my Lord. And I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to get in contact with me, salvationnow.ca. First link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. There's, uh, I want to I hear from you. There's a, a video at the bottom of the page. Four basic things I would tell every Christian. Four things that if we sat down right now for coffee, that I would, I would speak to you, that I'd encourage you in. Uh, four basic things that you have to do now that you're a Christian that's going to help and uh, make sure that you're a successful Christian, that you actually walk Walk out your Christianity. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.